this uh, No Code MBA event uh, is with uh, KP, who is the founder and CEO of the Build in Public Studio. Um, he also has a really cool Building in Public Fellowship happening soon, um, which is definitely something you should check out if you're in this event. You're probably interested in, in building in public. And uh, I think, uh, you know, this session will go over a lot about kind of what building a public is, uh, the misconceptions, how you can get started, some practical examples, um, some examples of, of people who have success building in public. And I'm personally really excited because uh, I've, I've done some building in public with, with No Code MBA, but I think uh, there's always room for improvement and, and kind of learning about what are the best practices here. And, and uh, you know, building a public is something that I think uh, is can be helpful for just about any type of business. And there's different strategies that you can do depending on you know, what, what your goals are, what type of, of business um, you have. So uh, I'll go ahead and, and hand it off to KP who can uh, get started and then um, make sure that you, if you have questions, you can either drop them in the uh, Q&A tab on the right side. Uh, you can see there's a little Q&A where you can write in your questions and we'll get to all those questions at the end of the session. Um, also, feel free to uh, save it until the, the Q&A session, but uh, just keep your questions in mind as, as we uh, have the event as well. So I'll go ahead and, and uh, pass it off now to KP. All right. Thank you so much, Seth. This is, uh, this is fun. This is, a, this is an honor you know, to be here, to be with the community. To, I, feel, I feel like we spoke, uh, I don't know, a few, a few months ago at least, um, and uh, what really stuck with me was like how at the time you were building um, this conference tab thing. I think you were, you were just getting started with this. So um, um, I'm glad that it's live now. We're uh, using this to do a workshop inside of NoCode MBA. It's pretty cool. Um, and I mentioned back then too how much I appreciated what you were doing with NoCode MBA. Um, specifically, I think around that month or two, you were pretty hard on sharing um the 10 things you can do with zapier or like learn webflow in like 10 steps and you were like writing threads and it was so prolific and i so i have one question for you what happened now <laughs> just uh, with, uh, all the threads on twitter well the the problem with doing those threads is they're just really time consuming so they are they um, are so it was really cool it's addicting when you do them and and some of them kind of go viral and and people get a lot of um uh you know, value out of them. So I'm hoping to be able to do more of them soon. Um, I really just uh, hereby publicly yeah. invite you on behalf of everybody on Twitter and, and the and the 14 people watching. I think the, there is a correlation there too. If you if you realize, um, one of the big tips that I have for everyone who is you know watching to here is, um, it's actually so hard. It, it's easier to go viral if you spend enough time on any platform. Like you just see. If you're on TikTok, you just see the the four things each day that are going viral. And I think uh, you can get a sense of like what might go viral. Um, and I've been on Twitter for five, six years now, and I have a sense of what might go viral. Uh, I'm sure you, Seth, even you know, like what might go viral. Sometimes, you know, I may not like the formats of why that's going viral, but I kind of know why certain things go viral, right? But what's harder is um, to earn the respect of those who matter. Um, so there's no shortcut to that. You really have to do the hard shit. 
So when you, I was already someone in no code. I was already like, I had a fellowship at the time. I was at OnDeck, I think, OnDeck fellowship. And like, I've seen everybody and their grandma in no code. So Seth, you were one of them. You're one of many people that were in the no code space along with me, right? But that one month, you earned tremendous respect in my eyes, you know, because you were doing the shit that's hard. You know, it's so much easier to just go say, oh yeah, here's the four links to um, learn Webflow. Here's the four links to learn Zapier. Here's one tweet. Here's one tweet. What you did there, like I remember, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like recollect like those yeah. whole six weeks or something. You were genuinely educating someone who is like probably a beginner in the no-code world, systematically, methodically, patiently, you know, with one tool at a time and one use case at a time. That takes a lot of patience and a lot of genuine care and like willing to just teach and give value. And so that's the, the meta point I want to make here is that um, the growing a following base is not what building in public is about, in my view. You know, and there's so many growth hacks you can do. There's so many like, you know, follow on follow. Like I was in one Q&A the other day and someone was saying like, oh, I just built my first thousand followers on Twitter with follow on follow strategy. And I was like offended by that shit. I was like, I never did. Like I didn't, I never even considered doing the follow on follow tactic or whatever that bullshit tactic is. So um, what's harder, I think, and what's like longstanding with um, building in public, in my view, is your First of all, you're documenting where you are in your journey. And that could be in the beginning. That could be in the zero to one stage. That could be in idea validation. That could be um, in a stage where you're exploring a particular space or field uh, and you don't know all the answers. But being vulnerable and honest and truthful to that phase where you are, I think, you know, boosts your social capital or like kind of gives you that reputation of this person is honest and this, you know, is kind of um, with some integrity and then um as you learn a little bit more about your space or whatever niche you're in and you discover some new things um as you learn them if you're able to share them and then teach you know to the world and to teach to the um audience um it's a great act of service you know and it may seem thankless in the moment which often it does uh, but it's always earning your respect in the long run you know, um, so I think at least for those two reasons alone, I feel a lot of founders, um, you know, should consider building in public one for documenting. So, you know, your own journey, like public journal. And second um, is to kind of like, you know, um, have um, to own trust and respect of, of the of the people around you, you know. So that's what I do and I try to do. Um, virality comes and goes. I just made a tweet yesterday. Um about how the high of results fades away quickly. You know, I mean, I've had crazy highs the last four years. You've seen some Seth, right? Like I have crazy high tweets, like amazing, like all that tweets, revenue, all of that highs, they come and go. But what's permanent is the joy of the action that you're doing. You know, if you can find a joy in the, in the act of building in public, if this, in this scenario, that is permanent. That bliss is permanent. Um, and nobody, nobody can take that away, and it's not volatile, in my view. So, all right. Um, with that opener, we'll, we will. We can do like where, where do you want to? Where do you want to go next? Do you have a question um, or a specific topic you want to touch on, Seth? 
Yeah, um, definitely. And, and one thing I'll, I'll um, uh, just go on of what you just said, which I thought was really interesting, was the idea of uh, building in public isn't necessarily about building the largest following, but it's about uh, gaining the respect of people who matter. And yeah. uh, I think it's kind of this idea that on the internet, you never know who is yeah, reading what you're putting out there, who's watching what you're putting out there. And you might not even know, you probably won't know because they probably won't respond. They won't yeah. like your tweet. But uh, if you're putting out stuff that is genuinely good and and consistently, you're you're likely to, to reach these people. And, and you kind of, uh, it's like you only need one or two really lucky breaks or good yeah. breaks uh, to really... Uh, put your career or put your company on the right trajectory. Yeah. So I think that's something that that really resonated with me about. Yeah, serendipity. I think instead of aiming for virality or like following numbers and all that, I think if all of us collectively just like focus on serendipity, you know, um, and again, like serendipity is mysterious, right? Like, do you, can you, how do you measure serendipity, right? Like, uh, what are the odds of me being on this particular show right now with you if you, if you had, if I hadn't read those eight threads you wrote back, I don't know, six months ago. And what are the odds of, you know, like, so, so it's really about, you know, um, like when I joined on deck, this was very apparent to me. I was surprised at how much Eric Turnberg and some of the team members knew about me without me ever knowing about them that much. And I was like, how did you guys do? Like, how, how, how? And they were like, yeah, we, we read your stuff. We, and so they wrote like one of the, I remember my boss who hired me for a role there, uh, Brandon, shout out. He made a Google Doc and he collected everything that I did. I mean, not everything, but like a lot of things that I did in the public domain that pertain to no code. And he was kind of pitching the role to me, um, trying to convince that this is a great role for me, blah, blah, blah. But like the amount of due diligence he did on me stunned, you know? And I all this while, I thought that nobody were watching me. <laughs> nobody worthy was watching me because I got like four likes at the time for shit that I did. Mm -hmm. but you know it's the same thing with gary v right i mean i i was um like gary v talks about it all the time like I, I remember like maybe eight years ago in one of the videos he made he talks about how um if you're if you're a young filmmaker um like a doc i don't know if you love documentaries and if you like you know love to document stuff about your city um i don't know like you know coffee shops in your city just do it you know document it create a video because now you have the iphone you know you have the camera, you have you know editing apps, and put it out there. Even if it's like 14 views on YouTube, one of them could be from CNN, like someone who's at you know CNN. They could bring you in, you know, for a documentary they are doing on Atlanta coffee shops or whatever. You know, so you just never know. And I think that's the the, the hardest part is um, everybody who's successful will tell you what I'm just telling you. Um, the hardest part is like knowing these truths when you're not successful, when you're just a beginner, knowing and accepting these truths, right? Because it feels like, for me, it's obvious. You know, now I'm five years into this journey. All of my success came from building in public and everyone's like, that's not right. It is true, 100% true. I'm no different from anybody who started with me five years ago on No Code. You saw me, Seth. Like I had 400 followers. I was a nobody in No Code. I came out of left field and... All of the success that I have right now is building about sort of comes from building in public and being putting myself out there. And there are times where I did this for virality. I did this for feeling good. The ego hits, the ego boosts. But that was all flash in the pan. All I remember 
being able to survive this five-year period is only chasing the joy, you know, and doing it for the right reasons, which is, you know, to add value and help others, even if it means just two people a day. Right, you know? right, totally. So I think that what might be helpful uh, to start with uh, for people watching is is maybe some like tactical thoughts around building on public. Like, let's say you have a startup and you're, you know, an indie hacker, you have a, you know, you, you're just getting started or, or maybe you have a, you know, a company and it's already doing, you know, $3,000 a month in revenue. What are some things to tactically start building in public or, or do it in a way that's authentic and feels true? Yeah. Um, for someone who uh, doesn't uh, really know how to get started or feel. Yeah, over. it's a great question. And actually I'll answer this in two parts because I feel like those two personas are slightly different. And I've been getting these questions recently um, and I wanna separate these two. So one is how do you get started building in public um, when you're in the idea stage, when you are, you know, you don't even have an MVP out yet, you're exploring and there's a lot of uncertainty around what you might be doing six months from the line. So in that scenario, how do you build in public? And the other one is you're slightly ahead of, you know, in this chat, in this journey, you're at 3K MRR or 2K MRR and you, you have a startup that you can attach yourself to and say, all right, that's the startup I'm going to build in public, right? Okay, so we'll separate these two. I'll start with the first. Um, in the idea stage, the, the biggest misconception is people think, oh, I can't build in public now because I don't have an idea or a startup that I can attach myself to or name to or you know talk about one niche, et cetera. That is actually an advantage, you know, um, which means that you know, you're not necessarily tied to any niche yet. So I would say explore broadly um, and document what you're exploring. You know, you could, you could take on the persona of, I am a founder who is in the beginner, you know, phases zero to one. I'm a zero to one founder who's exploring these four or five topics. And you can post content or post your observations around those four or five topics, right? And whatever you learned, you know, that day, that week could be, you know, a piece of content or a billing in public post, right? And oftentimes you would be surprised at how your posts that are of you discovering something that might be obvious to you might be super surprising to somebody else, you know, who needed that, who needed to hear that. A lot of the times, you know, a lot of the um, insights and um, observations you arrive at are not net new groundbreaking information, but somebody out there needs to hear this today, you know? And I feel this uh, all the time when I'm tweeting something or posting or sharing, making a piece of content. I'm like, I'm sure somebody knows this, you know, but I think there's this a voice that you have to overcome, which is it's not about, oh, am I saying something that nobody's ever um, heard? It's not about that. You're not trying to be uh, an inventor of language. You know, you're trying to be someone who says something with authenticity because you just lived it. You had that experience right now and you're trying to look for resonance. Resonance is what connects, you know, people with one another and builds community. Right, so when you go through a harsh um, idea validation exercise, and you went in assuming that this idea that you were so passionate about, let's say you're building a uh, SaaS for teachers, and you know the first three teachers or four teachers really give you harsh feedback, and you probably don't think that that's a good idea to pursue, so you're calling it quits of that idea. That is some unbelievably inspiring and meaningful content for somebody else who's four steps behind you, and needs to see that 
the path is not filled with roses. The path is filled with twists and turns and loops and circuits, you know? And you've seen this yourself, Seth, right? You've done so many loops and circuits. I know I can't, I lost track of them. So, so I think, you know, in the idea stage, there will be a lot of uh, sawdust. There will be a lot of, um, you know, mess, but that's okay. And I think part of the um, most important service you can do to other people is to normalize the mess. You know, a lot of the times people appreciate, you know, come to me and say like, KP, thanks for sharing this vulnerable thought. Thanks for sharing this like, you know, fear that you had. Like I literally title, my, sometimes I say limiting belief. If you search for limiting belief on my name, you'll see a bunch of things. And those are things that I genuinely felt that morning in my journal. And I decided to put them on Twitter because people need to see that entrepreneurship is not like a, you know, like, like super bravo, like, you know, super like confident every step of the way I know what I'm doing, you know? Of course not, right? And uh, the the more open and honest you are to where you are in that journey in the zero to one phase and what's going on with you and your startup, the more um, cathartic is, it is for you. First of all, that's the win right there. Like you can feel cathartic and you can feel like light, you know, carrying the burden of, you know, living up to people's expectations or what you should be doing. And the secondly, it might inspire somebody else and it might make the path more relatable to somebody else. So that's what I would do. Create content around what's happening day to day, week by week. Share both the successes and also failures, both the highs, but also your fears in public. You know, um, The one tip here is that oftentimes in this journey, a lot of people are so reluctant and hesitant about posting more than once or twice a day. Uh, please give yourself permission to post as much as you want. Just like how you would text your best friend or text your wife or your sibling as many times as you want. There's no limit, you know, that limits you're putting are artificial. Of course, there is a physical limit, like don't harass your best friend eight times, like 18 times a, a, an hour, but you would never second guess, should I text him or her again? Like you would just be open. So be open, be simple, be open, be easy on Twitter, TikTok, whatever. If you want to post three times, do it. If you want to post four times, do it. It's fine. Um, I just think that the I'm trying to help you resist. I'm trying to help you get over the resistance of posting more than once. Because a lot of people I know um, are under posting, not over posting. You know, um, so that's one. Then we talk about the second persona where you're at three K MRR. You've you've you're, you went to zero to one phase. Um, man, like this is an this is a great place to be. Like when you know you're at the chapter two of what might be an amazing company or startup that's helping people, I would focus on, you know, what customers are telling you in your intercom chat. Like what's the four things they said this week that really, really jazzed you up, fired you up, you know, share that saying like, hey, this is what one of my fellows or one of my, sorry, one of my uh, customers said to me this week. It meant a lot to me. Um, here's one of the challenges the customer, customer has had and we solved it using the Zapier automation. Like a lot of what you're doing, the way you would train an intern by who was shadowing you, I would use my Twitter account like an intern um, who's shadowing me and documenting my journey. It doesn't have to be like hundred percent accurate to everything that I do. Like if I went, if I went to the bathroom at eleven p.m., I don't need to document that I just peed. That's not the point. The point is, like enough meaningful things in the day 
if somebody could document them, it should be you, you know, in this scenario, and then just put them on Twitter because that would not only help um, other people again, like you know, come closer to you, like feel connected to your brand, your mission, your you know, company. More importantly, by doing this, you're always staying top of mind in a very busy and noisy world. You know, who they're gonna forget about you if you don't talk about you know what you're building and you know who you're serving. It helps you to stay top of mind without having to pay for ads, right? The way that people stay top of mind, like the way I thought about Coca-Cola last night was because I saw an ad between some, you know, between two episodes or something. So Coca-Cola is paying millions of dollars to stay top of mind with, with billboards, with ads, Super Bowl, whatever. I feel like as founders and startups, you know, there's a super cheap way to stay top of mind, like just building public, you know? So... Cool. Yeah, those were, um, yeah. And uh, thanks for separating those two different like um, personas there. I think that was really helpful. Uh, a takeaway I had was like, don't feel like you can only post once, like, you know, giving permission to post as much as, as you want. And I think that's something also, I agree, uh, you know, a lot of people might post once or twice and give up. Uh, another thing is if you post on Twitter, it's not going to reach all of your Twitter followers either. Right. Uh, so, so you kind of need to post multiple times right? and, and post the same message uh, multiple times a, as well um, in order to, to kind of really reach people. Um, something else that I was thinking as, as you kind of are, we're, we're talking about those different personas is, and I think something that has been coming up in Twitter and among indie hackers a little bit more recently is is the topic of sharing revenue and kind of um, some some uh, founders are choosing to not share revenue or not share revenue as they get to a larger size. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Uh, is sharing revenue a requirement to building in public? Um, at what point does it make sense to potentially stop sharing revenue? So I think uh, people might be curious about, about that. Yeah, that's a great question. I know it's it's come up a couple of times in the last, I don't know, month or so in our Zeitgeist. Um, I mean, I feel like it ultimately is uh, an individual's choice um, to whether or not even share revenue at any point. Um, now that extends to, of course, a point where you're making ungodly amounts of revenue, you know? Um, also, what what is ungodly amounts? Like, I feel like a lot of the times these indie hackers like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm posting like a 150K MRR. Like that's peanuts. Like compared to what ConvertKit is making, like 150K MRR is nothing, you know? Um, at the same time, it's it's a shit ton of money compared to the guy who's making 30, 30 bucks MRR. So it's like, I feel like a lot of this is just um, the founder's personal growth, you know, um, and self-development challenges, you know, is, is that they feel like after a while, you feel like it's bragging. I, you could argue that it's bragging from day one. Like I posted the other day that uh, I made, um, I think uh, $60 MRR on on on, a, uh, on one of my new SaaS ideas and without an MVP. One could view that and say, okay, he's bragging. Like how, how dare he goes to, you know, positive uh, revenue without having an MVP. Like, I mean, I, I you can't control that, right? At the same time, I view that as saying like, even KP has to start at zero to 60 to 90. Like there's a lot of people assume that, oh, if you're, um, you know, take like some Cortland Allen, like, oh, after 
indie hackers get getting acquired by Stripe, Cortland, like, oh, he's got the Midas touch. Of course, he's got the Midas touch. I love him. He's a good friend. But if Cortland starts something else new today, he has to go from zero to one KMRR like all of us plebs. Like, he's no god. Like, all of us have to go through the same, you know, rite of passage, you know, and that's hum humility. And I think that's uh, that's why I, I choose to share some of the revenue milestones because it's like, um, I make a shit. I made a shit ton of money last three, four years, and now I'm on on my own as a founder, as a bootstrap founder. This shit's hard. Like I have to make, like uh, remake all that money from scratch in this economic climate. So every dollar, to me, feels a lot more um, precious, and and uh, and in you know I'm grateful for every new customer. So you know revenue. I think uh, posting to to whatever level is really up to you. Um, some people will always choose to think of it as a bragging. I think the, the key though is that it's the tone at which you're saying, right? Like, I feel like a lot of the times the discomfort that people have is because they're just the tone at which they're probably presenting that revenue or the journey um, might have gotten a lot of people riled up and like, you know, nobody likes, uh, and the tone is, you know, um, not, uh, you know, not genuine or not, you know, people can sense tone. So I feel like a lot of the times what's happening there is that um, they're seeing that, you know, there's there, someone's trying to flex on you because of the tone, not necessarily because of the screenshot. Um, because I promise you, if, if Arvid Kahl posted the same screenshot, he would not get the same response as like some other person, douchebag who's trying to brag on it, right? So it's it's the social capital you have with the community. It's how much you've helped people. It's just how many people are rooting for you, you know? And, and um, so, I mean, I think... Uh, it's really up to you. I recently posted uh, in my newsletter, Seth, that um, the last three months, uh, in the last two and a half months since I became a bootstrap founder, I, I think I made like 22K or something. And I posted around round figure. I, I rounded up to 22K and hit publish. And actually for a second, I felt nervous, you know, and that's the, and the reason I felt nervous is not because I thought somebody would think of as bragging. It's just that I thought that um, they could, could be viewed in a, a bunch of ways. It could be viewed that, oh, all this big talk, but KP only made this much money is one way of viewing it. Or, yeah, this guy has made this much money. He's still freaking vulnerable. Always like sharing on Twitter that he's like learning shit, like failing and like, well, you should be grateful, which I am. But that is the truth. And so the, the, frame, the framework that I used is before hitting publish on that post, I asked myself, if my best friend called me and asked me, KP, point blank, how much money did you make in the last three months? Um, and how do you feel about it? I would tell him the number and I would tell him how I feel. Then I'm like, why would I hide this from 9,000 people or 10,000? Who cares? You know, the truth is the truth. Like, so I shared it and I felt so good. I got so many responses from that saying, thank you so much for showing us that it's not always easy, which is true. It's not always easy. It's not always rosy and being, being vulnerable and honest. And so, I mean, um, the other day uh, I saw Steph Smith post, um, her Gumroad screenshot of 300K or something, accumulated earnings or something. And she was saying, I feel a little weird about, um, you know, like posting this. Maybe people will think it's cringe. I'm like, why? You know, I she earned it. Like it was not some money stolen from a bank robbery. <laughs> it's genuinely she earned it, you know? So the people who are going to be happy about you are going to be happy. And um, the people who are going to, you know, hate on you for no reason are going to hate on you. You know, I think the game, the, the, all stars, the the real founders, the you know 
the ones who really matter, I think we'll see, we'll see it for who you are. Yeah. It's uh and even as you're saying this, I'm kind of thinking about uh, myself and and how I share revenue or don't share revenue. And, and I think, I think one reason the revenue specifically is, is a touchy subject for people is money is just uh, a very emotional thing yeah. um, for people and for themselves and how other people are going to perceive them. And I think, um, you know, I think it is fair for, for people to, and I think you can succeed building in public, obviously, without yeah. sharing revenue. It's definitely yeah. not necessary, which is, I think, some one thing that some people associate building in public with your monthly MRI. Yeah, your that's a good point. Um, which which yeah. isn't the case. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I think uh, we should probably see more examples of the other way as well, right? We I think we tend to see a dominant uh, percentage of examples where building public equals MRR charts and graphs, you know? Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and and it's uh, I, I think in some ways, if, if you are willing to share revenue, it it probably makes it easier to build an audience. Right. People are also really interested in in sharing in in revenue. Obviously, right. it's the most interesting thing. So yeah, it's right. Going to be a, a little bit more challenging, right? If you don't do it, um, I, I'll say for myself, like one reason, actually, when I first started No Code MBA, I, I did share revenue on on indie hackers. And I um, don't share revenue. I haven't shared revenue in, in a while for it. I think uh, partially um, it feels a little bit weird for myself to share revenue when it's kind of like sharing your salary, right? As yeah. opposed to if you have a company that has a lot of employees, like it's a little bit different, I think, when you share revenue. So I think uh, that's one reason that I feel less comfortable doing it. I think that there is some level of invitation of of um competitors by sharing yeah. revenue so it's something to think about i think yeah. as you get bigger right uh, i think i think, I yeah. think you know the the connotation though i, I will so i will accept the part where you said it's it's uncomfortable around feeling like you're sharing your salary numbers which is fair right i never share how much i made it on deck the last two three years on twitter even though i'm the building public guy right? i never shared how much i made it on deck you know and so on a day for a day one um so I agree, and the the other connotation is around uh, what you just said about competition. I think that is I contest that one, you know. Mm. By which what I mean is, regardless of how much money you make, you're always gonna have competition today or tomorrow or four yeah. weeks from now. It's really a matter of when, not a matter of if. And generally in bootstrapping, especially in in, in the indie hacker world we're part of competition is inevitable even at, at least in like you know in the vc backed world there's the monopolies i mean there's the there's the power law where like the two or three winners take all the market share and all that but like in generally in most niches that indie hackers operate there's already existing competition and there will always be new competition tomorrow um so i mean my, one of my best friends uh Sharath, built this thing called shoutout you know dot essa which he ex exited recently uh, there's always competition. Even on day one, when he posted that, there was like two other people doing that. And then there's testimonial who did it at a much bigger level. And then yep. there's um, one of my on-deck no-code fellows. Um, Lewis is building tiny testimonial, which is similar, but like for his his angle is something else. And there's like, five, I can name like six other, like there's another reviews.io and they're all collectively doing the same thing. Right. So, you know, Sharat and I would joke about how like it's, you know, you could either view this as like, man, everyone's coming after my money or my my plate of food on the table, or you could say they're all farmers in the field, 
you know, I get to reap what I sow in my part of the field. You know, it's a positive sum game, right? If you grow your field, more crop, sure, great. But you growing your crop is, doesn't mean somebody else's crop is dying. You know, there's infinite wealth if you want to choose to, you know, live that way, right? So that's the mindset we had it on deck where we, I mean, at least with the no code, I was helping 100 days of no code, Max, I was helping you to an extent, I mean, not deeply, but like, I was happy the maker pad. I was like, who cares? Everyone's got their own share. We're all going to grow our fields. My job is to focus on my weather, my fertilizer, my crop, and my happy customers and not worry about, um, you know, if I share how much crop I'm making, somebody else might like, no, it's not. So yeah, End of I, rant, I, but yeah. That's, that's definitely a fair, a fair point. Um, and, and I, I do totally agree with the idea of like, especially in the, in the indie hacker world and, and it's, the pie is growing. And I think yeah. you know, particularly the no code world, the pie is really gro growing. Um, and, and I think that makes sense. I, I think there, uh, I think there could be some validity to, if you're sharing, uh, revenue about a SaaS, you might invite some competitors more quickly, although they're going to come eventually. Um, yeah. but, uh, I think that the idea that that's going to actually hurt you, um, is, is, right. is pretty unlikely. Yeah. And I, so, so you're right. I think you'll like invite a, a lot. Yeah. Right. And whether that's true. No, no, I agree to a point that you, 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 that level of transparency will invite a lot of competitors right now. So what? Right. Right. Exactly. And, and the competitors who are only doing it because they're, uh, they right. saw that you tweeted about your, your revenue. They're, they're right. not likely to, yeah. uh, you know, have success or, or yeah. really compete with you and, and, and yeah. take away your customers or anything. But I see like the that. point though. I see, I see the point. I think, I mean, that's why I think it's important to kind of be careful around how much you choose to share. It's, it's one of those tricky things that I struggle with. Um, Seth is that it, it, the, if you're not the most passionate storyteller ambassador for your niche, you're going to lose in my view. I mean, you're going to lose to somebody else who's like me, right? <laughs> Some, so if you, you, if you have to be, you have to wake up every morning and be, become the most excited and passionate and almost like a reverend level, like a pastor level um, uh, storyteller and ambassador for your startup. You know, I'm saying for your startup, but if you don't, because if you don't do that, you're going to lose. So, which means you have to keep telling stories. You have to keep showing up. You have to be present and stay on top of mind for people. But the challenge with that is one of the story elements is revenue or progress or traction. So maybe there's like a clever way of like talking about it without sharing exactly how much, but that's an important ingredient of the story, right? Yeah. Um, so what tends to happen in, in my view is a lot of the times people think, oh, because of this ingredient that's a touchy and careful, I mean, uh, sensitive and like maybe this is a risk, I'm just going to give up on the entire storytelling process, right? And so that's the bigger risk, I think. If, if, if it's touchy, you want to avoid it, that's fine. Go around it. But a lot of the times what people tend to do is that they use that as an excuse to just give up on the entire ambassador storytelling thing. And that means they're not present in people's parlance and you know, memory and it's going to be very hard to, you know, acquire customers if you're not showing up. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. And in terms of building in public, I think, uh, you know, building in public, uh, if yeah, and sharing revenue or sharing these types of maybe startup type stories, 
um, I think is very natural if your product is appealing to that audience. Uh, how could someone think about building in public if they have a start, you know, maybe their SaaS appeals to, you know, healthcare workers or, or yeah. you know, different types of, of uh, industries. Is, is building in public as useful for, for those types of companies? And, and how would someone think about that uh, in comparison? I, it's, a, it's a great question. I, um, technically, you'll have to um, switch up the strategy a little bit. You'll have to basically go to where your potential customers are hanging out um, online and try to see if you can build in public there, right? It could mean like a Facebook group. It could mean a Reddit subreddit. It could mean, um, you know, um, uh, being in a Slack group or, you know, whatever. There's there's a watering hole online where your potential customers are hanging out today. It's there somewhere. You know, it may not be Twitter, um, but it could be LinkedIn. It could be LinkedIn groups, Facebook groups, whatever. So you'll have to adapt your strategy and kind of go there and spend a lot of time there, um, building in public and sharing your story. And I mean, I, I hear, um, I'm recalling one of the, um, I think chapters from um, Arvid Kahl's book called Embedded Entrepreneur, where he talks about this, where his wife, uh, his partner, Daniel, and him, they were uh, building a SaaS for educators and teachers. And, you know, that's not your typical Twitter audience. So he said, like, for Feedback Panda, which is that product, a lot of their journey was being embedded in these Facebook groups with teachers, you know, and then sharing updates, sharing features or benefits and asking questions, being open-minded there. Um, so that you might have to do that. Like you have to switch up the platform where you build in public. But I think um, the practice of it still remains the same. I would still argue that there's benefit in uh, bringing some of that discussion to Twitter and LinkedIn as well, even though, you know, there may not be a lot of the potential buyers there because you're going to have some business support, like camaraderie and help from other founders because Twitter has a high density of founders. Even if you don't have, like you're building something for dentists, maybe there's not enough dentists there. When you say like, hey, I'm struggling with customer acquisition in this economic climate, other founders who also serve to B2B may be able to chime in and give you some advice, which often happens in my case. Um, so I think there's still value in building to an extent on Twitter too. Cool. That's that. I think that's really helpful uh, advice and 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 makes a lot of sense. Uh, the real quick before I ask my next question, uh, just for anyone listening, uh, if you have questions, drop them in the Q and A chat um, in the the top right um, of the um, of this page. So make sure you do that, and we'll get to those at the end of the session. If if you have any questions. So uh, my next question is around process. So, you know, I think especially as a, if you are a bootstrap founder uh, starting your own business, you know, you're building the product, you're doing various email, you're doing uh, social media, you're doing, you know, maybe working with contractors, you have all of these things that you're managing. And I'm curious if there's, maybe this would be even what is your tactical process for, for you know, creating content for Twitter or other platforms uh, because obviously you have a lot going on starting the, the fellowship, starting um, all of the things that you're working on. You're putting out an email every week. Um, and uh, so, so I think even um, I think it could be helpful to, to learn a, a little bit about, you know, what people can do to be efficient um, in, in creating content. With the content specifically, I think I had um, I, I, I had 
some unfair advantage that I'd been doing this for a while now, for two, three years for fun, you know, on the side. So the pressure was, I had low pressure and uh, I had so many reps in the game. Uh, But with the newsletter, that was a relatively newer phenomenon. Um, I only started like, I think six months ago. And for a long time, I hated writing newsletters. Oh my God, I thought I would, I would interview people like Kehi and like um, Justin Welsh and be like, how are you guys doing this week after week? This is insane. I just hate it. And all they kept, all they kept telling me were like, uh, was like, okay, we believe in you. You should, you, you're, you can do this. You're just trying to, you're do, overthinking this and all that, which is true. Um, I overthought everything and uh, I had like too much of an ambition of, of growing the newsletter or like writing something like a uh, masterpiece every time. Uh, my success in content comes from my humble expectations, Seth. I have very, very humble expectations. I have high standards, but humble expectations, which means I don't assume that whatever I'm writing um, is going to be a masterpiece or it's going to be the piece that people will remember me forever or uh, or anything at all. You know, Really, when I'm writing, sitting down, I have this Wednesday ritual where every Wednesday I'm going to ship this newsletter. I've done this for 25 times. So my whole identity is now aligned to the kind of person who ships a newsletter every Wednesday, period. No excuses. I did this when I was in India traveling. I did this like when I was sick, I did this. So my identity is not the guy who goes viral on the newsletter or whatever. My identity is in what I can control, which is KP ships a newsletter every Wednesday. And you know it, it will teach someone something. That's it. It's not going to be a long form essay. It's not going to be a lot of like, you know, resources. But I had like so many, so many ambitious like thoughts before. Now I simpled it down all the way to just teach someone something, you know, each week, right? Now, what do I teach depends on my drafts and my prompts. I have so many prompts, so many drafts that I do. Um, so I pick one of them and then I just think that's top of mind for me and then I ship it. Um, now it takes like 40 minutes to, for me to write. It used to take me four hours. Um, takes like 40 minutes now to write and I hit publish and it goes with the same thing with the podcast where I have three slots each week and I like I send my outgoing outbound podcast invites in tranches like I do 50 invites at once and then my hit rate is like half like 25 of them say yes and then all the 25 slots are booked out for three months all I do is show up do an interview like you're doing right now um I mean I prepare of course but like I do the interview and I have a, a contractor who edits it out. And then I have a contractor who writes the description and then puts it on YouTube and podcasts. So I've like systematized podcasts, systematized the newsletter, which frees up my time to go crazy on Twitter. So a lot of my Twitter is like me, like tweeting, you know, in the middle of a, you know, I don't know, lunch session or like some walking. So a lot of my Twitter is still, um, you know, like a little um, all over the place, but that's good because I wanted to have fun with it. I didn't want to like super temperatize it. Um, I still have maybe like five or six tweets that I do that are um, sort of uh, pre-planned for a week. So I like put them into the scheduler ahead of the time in the week. But through the week, I'm very spontaneous on Twitter. And like, I try to like, you know, be myself and share myself. So I'm like, that's where I'm like, I said, uh, it's always so hard to resist the temptation of trying to go viral. You know, it never goes away. I thought when I have 50,000 followers or 40,000 followers or 10,000 followers, maybe I will have uh, less of this temptation. It's always there. Uh, 
you never you're like once you hit 50k or 40k you still think you need to get 100k and then when then so it's it's a it's a never ending cycle so i've learned to let go and um humble my expectations and have fun and play the long game you know cool so so what i'm hearing is you've kind of structured a lot of your other work to systematize that as much as possible yeah. will allow you to be as authentic and kind of um, in the moment on Twitter yes. as, as you can, basically. Because that's my one. I view Twitter, it's just like super um, weird, but like super uh, has been working out really well for me. I view Twitter like I view iMessage, you know? Um, so which means that if I feel like I want to say something nice about Seth, about something like you just took your dog for a walk and like, you know, like there's no real value in my comment to the public. But if I want to say something, I'll just say something, you know, like, like you'll see a lot of the times I'm just like, my tweets have no strategy, you know, like most of my replies and comments and tweets. But that's because I earned, I, I feel like with all the other things that I do that are so structured and like so um, careful, I feel like Twitter is where I like want to have fun, you know. And oftentimes people, that that's what leads me to building relationships with people because they see that I'm doing like, you know, like I'm being myself on Twitter, not trying to temperatize shit. Um, it, it helps me be, uh, make more friends. Cool. No, I think that's a, that's a really nice perspective. And, and um, actually not necessarily what I, what I expected, actually, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, like what I, did you expect? Like you had, you well, know. well, more uh, um, uh, one example that, that actually could be helpful for people um uh, is it actually Justin Welsh who, yeah. who you um, you mentioned, and he has a, in the No Code MBA uh, interviews page. He actually did an interview about how he's built his his business, and his process is is very systematized with writing content. And it sounds like he, you know, every day he'll sit down for an hour in the morning and he'll write his content, and and that's what he does, right? So yeah. it's, it's much more structured. Yeah. So, um, he's out. my, um, he's my friend of me, you know, I, I love him and I hate him. Just kidding. Uh, he's <laughs> the opposite of everything that I am in many ways. Like he's so <laughs> disciplined. He's got so like, I don't like this. This is not me. I tried a little bit. Um, I, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm so much of a people's person and I'm so, I, I can't resist, um, you know, like if I want to say something, I'll just say something. And my team also hates that. They're always like, they're always trying to, like, KP, can we please follow through the strategy we had outlined for this week? And I'm like, sure, but also let's let's have fun, you know. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I guess it's uh, you know, different strategies work for different personalities and and types of people as well. Which yeah. is sort of maybe a, a take. The, my my story is proof that you don't have to be super smart. <laughs> you, the the my my only hope is that I can be a great example of how much of a bumbling mess you could be and still win just because you showed up. That's really what I did. Like all of my success or all of my sort of like, if I look back and I think of what was the great strategy that like, I have no strategies. My only strategy is that I showed up. Um, I did, I was graceful to myself and um, I just like was hungry enough to be patient for the long game. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so, so we can move over to the, the Q&As, some questions coming in. Um, first question is, what if personally putting oneself in public online and tweeting is not something you want to do, but yet uh, are good at evangelizing and want to receive feedback to shape the ideas and products? So I guess maybe uh, you don't want to put yourself out there, but you want to maybe put your, your product out there. Yeah. Question. I mean, it's. I think it's... Um... 
it's very, very hard in my view to pull that off. Um, because a lot of the times when people are trying to give feedback, uh, they're trying to help. So for someone to be able to go out of their way and then help, they want to see a face or they want to see a name. They want to see like something that they, you know, they're doing that matters. Um, that's why, I mean, I, I think you could probably have an anonymous account, like how a lot of Web3 folks uh, mm -hmm. have anonymous accounts. And um, it's also hard to be vulnerable, you know, when when you're just like, a, I don't know, pinky XYZ4599, you know, whatever. It's like hard because people will like will, will diminish your, your honesty. They'll think that you're you're not being there's no risk here. There's not there's no skin in the game. Um but when Seth or when KP, when when one of us were vulnerable, they'll be like, oh, KP is vulnerable. Like this this guy did who did this, 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 this person, this human being is being vulnerable or is being honest. Let me go help them. You know, it's very hard for people to go help the Gumroad account <laughs> or they were to help the, you know, ConvertKit account, you know. Um, so, but I mean, my advice is... Um, if you're really asking for feedback and um, trying to see like if this is a valid idea and stuff like that, I think you can pull that off. But to build trust, to build community, to build long-standing relationships, I think it's good to, you know, be yourself. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that that's good feedback. And as, as I'm kind of thinking about it as well, I think um, I, I agree. I think it's challenging to to do it if you're not able to put yourself out there because people even think about Twitter like you'd much rather follow a person than a brand yeah and um, I think your suggestion of maybe making an anonymous account um, um, you know there's some accounts out there that are like the restaurant guy or the yeah. home guy and yeah that seems to be a good way of doing it if, if you really don't want to put yourself out there because um, at least people know they're talking to a person yeah. Um, but Agreed. yeah yeah um, the one question here, it's not really a question, says not all of us are comfortable with exhibitionist entrepreneurship. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I never heard that phrase before. But, yeah, me too. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's true. I mean, it's. Uh, the, I feel like some of this is performing. Some of this is exhibitionism, you know. Um, but, you know, our ancestors would, if you met your ancestors today, they would think everything you do is exhibitionism, right? Like every every social media activity you do is exhibitionism. Why would you even put your face? Like I, the other day I recorded a uh, video of my son um, running around and playing tag with me and it was so meaningful and joyful and I put it on Instagram or something. Like I promise you my grandma would look at that and be like, why would you have to share this joy with the world? But, you know, we live in different worlds. This is the world of media. This is the era of media, social media. I didn't do it for likes. You know, I did it just because it was such a joyful thing. And I thought it would be cool to share because he was doing something goofy in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're feeling discomfort about it, I mean, there are obviously a lot of people who don't want uh, that level of exposure or visibility and that kind of thing. And totally fine. You know, I think you should you should do what's authentic to you. Um you know, and, and stay true to those values. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think to, to go off of that or kind of thinking about, I mean, obviously, you know, this isn't the only being uh, an exhibitionist entrepreneur isn't the only way to success. I think it can help give you an unfair advantage. And, and I think especially thinking about the future with AI and, and how, um, you know, the, really the way to separate yourself from AI content is to be authentic and to really create um, 
content that people know is from a person. And yeah. I think that's only going to become a lot more valuable going yeah. into the future. Um, last question. And then I want to make sure KP has a chance to talk about the fellowship coming up. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, this question is, do you think your competitor will use information against you? So I don't know if there's anything you want to add uh, that we didn't already mention there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, to me, it's pretty plain. I mean, I, I built, um, Seth, you remember when I, 2020, like, you know, early days of pandemic, I built uh, something called Kappa. It was a, uh, you remember I that? Do, I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. I do. yeah. And when I built it in public, I had like four or five people copy it, like literally copy the landing page, um, same value prop. And I was like so frustrated with it. I was like, oh my God, you know. But I also know the advice of like, don't focus on your competitors, focus on your customers, your journey, your roadmap. Um, funny enough, like they fizzled out in like a month, you know. Um, but that month was not the most peaceful month for me because I was always looking at their stuff and like whatever they were doing. And so it, I think, you know, there will always be competition. Like being in business comes with the risk of competition, you know. Now, like, you know, no, no business is immune to competition is one of the things that I think is, is one of my biggest learnings. Whether you do it in public or you do it in stealth, you know, one customer who's your customer can see what you're doing in sort of even in stealth. And like, they can say, hey, Seth is building this new thing called NoCode MBA. Because if I'm a member of your community, I can just see what's going on inside. I can go to the other side and then share that with somebody else who might start in that competition. So, you know, I mean, there's always going to be people looking. There's always going to be people finding. I feel like um, in business, the real magic is not, um, you know, some protected secret that only, you know, you have. It's really the execution. It's the longevity. It's the the values by which you you define your journey and like, you know, customer centricity and all these things. So I feel I'm never like so worried about people using information against my customer, competitors using my information against me. Maybe that's just me again. Please don't copy me or like feel like this is an obligation that you should believe in the my value system. I just don't care about it, frankly. You know, um, I used to. It hurts. It still stinks, but I'm now. If I if I see this happening, I'm like much more focused on how do I help customers alone. You know, that's like the number one focus. So, yeah, it's it's kind of like a mindset uh, shift and and kind of the focus. It's easy to get distracted. Yeah. By, by those types of things and yeah. when in reality it's yeah. it's it's really no, like nobody like you know everyone's uh thinking about like competition right like one last thing i'll say is like you know Substack was the hottest thing two years three years ago and now beehive is the hottest thing like i feel like could Substack stop beehive no you know like there are gonna be another one and four years earlier it was review which was bought out by twitter eight years earlier it was near convert kit 15 years a year earlier it was mailchimp so there's always going to be someone coming down and trying to like, you know, um, compete. So, and, and also uh, MailChimp ended up getting acquired for a billion dollars. Yeah. That. So, right. Uh, so there's always, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, uh, cool. Do you, do you want to uh, quickly uh, talk about the fellowship um, and, and. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll keep it quick. I mean, um, if you really understood the essence of what I've been trying to say, um, I think this specific knowledge that I'm sharing with you is through coming from my lived experience of, you know, building in public the last five years. Um, I've learned that there's not real community and camaraderie 
around this knowledge, like where this is every day discussed and um, founders like apply these concepts, not just learn about them. So, you know, that's what I wanted to create. It's called the fellowship. It's called um, the Building Public Fellowship. The website's builtinpublicfellowship.com. Um, it's evolving. It's a work in progress right now, the website. But it's a cohort and a community. So you're going to get um, six weeks of live training, live teaching, like this workshop um, from me and some other experts that I'm going to invite from outside um, who are all practitioners of building in public. So you're going to learn from experts. You're going to apply these concepts in our office hours, in our in our uh, working sessions. And then if you have any questions, we're there on Slack. You know, we're going to do, you know, um, questions. And we're going to do some office hours as well. Um, and it starts on March 6th, next Monday. So that's the kickoff. If you're interested, please go ahead and apply. And I'd love to see you in. Cool. Awesome. I, I think it sounds it sounds really great. And as you mentioned, if you're watching this and you and you watched uh, this this event, you're probably interested and, and we get value out of it. Um, what was the last thing? Uh, no, I think overall, I just wanted to say thanks so much for for coming on KP and and talking about building in public. It's uh, it's given me a lot to think about with my uh, Twitter strategy, social media strategy myself. So uh, hopefully it gave you know anyone watching a lot to think about. Also, um, awesome. where where can people f uh, follow you? Uh, any other links you want to share? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. Uh, people, I mean, anyone who wants to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm, that's where I'm most active. Not so much on LinkedIn. Um, on Twitter, I am at this is KP underscore. Um, and, and that's where you'll have all the links from my website and everything. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Seth. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining. I'll see you later. Welcome. Bye-bye.